We are moving through 2 Peter for GBF. This is breakneck speed. It's been about three years. <laughs> and we're at what you would consider to be the crescendo. As we sing those songs, the way that songs are written, there's an introduction, which is generally low, begins to build over the course of the verse. You get to the chorus, and the chorus builds. It's a crescendo, and it comes down for the next verse. This is how about 100% of American songs are written now. It is the marketable way. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, out, right? And the song is to build, to build, to build, because at the crescendo, where everything hits its peak, that is what you are emphasizing. Often that's where the hook of the song is, the main point. So it's all building, drawing your attention to this is it. And in our, our letter here of Second Peter, we have reached the crescendo. Peter has been prepping the saints that he's leaving behind for his exit. And as he's been setting the vision, their hope on their refinement, their hope on the promises of God, and that this is not something man-made, but this is something that is beyond Peter. This will endure forever throughout chapter 1. He then contrasts it with what they're seeing in chapter 2. And that is a long description of those who would come against Peter and thereby come against the word of God, the people of God, to draw them astray. And he exposes that. But then for the crescendo throughout chapter 3, he is writing about the final battle, the final destruction of all that opposes God. And we get down to our section here, which is actually going to be starting in verse 11. So it'll be 11, 12, and 13. But we're going to be focused solely on, or mainly on verse 13. But as Peter's going, he's saying, Being, be separate from this generation. This generation that is, is passing, it's fading, but it's not just fading, but it's going to be done away with. And those who live accordingly, those who love this world, those who are holding on to these things will be done away with. That will be their end. And now he's going to point his reader's attention, our attention, to what comes after that. What are the things that are truly eternal? Where should you have your vision set? Which is, where's your vision set? What's the final state for you? Where is it locationally? Heaven. Well, I got, I got one correct answer. Okay. Well, now we have, we have a second here. We have heaven. We have a second. Everybody else stares at me like, is this a trick question? <laughs> I think that's why you're here is that you'd like to afterwards, maybe after the restaurant, but you'd like to be prepared for heaven. That is the place where we're going. If you were going anywhere, you would want to investigate it. But if you're going to go there for a while, you want to know how to pack, right? You're going to be there for eternity. I'll tell you how to pack. Nada, right. Right, nothing. And so Peter sets before us this image, and we're going to, to build it out throughout the course of the morning. But what he sets before us, as the title suggests, this is what is sufficient for your endurance. To get there, he puts that vision up there that you might see it. And as you, just in the imagery, as you're looking up, you're seeing beyond all that's here, all of this stuff fades. So this is nothing new. This is a reminder, an encouragement. But Peter sets that vision out there. So 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'm starting in verse 11. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise... We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. 
Lord, we have so many things that vie for our attention, our, our temporary attention, things we have to attend to. But Lord, you've called us to see beyond the temporary, to those things that are eternal, those things that will last forever. May we set our mind on that. I, I know many of us, Lord, would show up here today, I'd say all of us, with cares and concerns that the world has brought us. Lord, may we see a hope that goes beyond all of these, that we may endure, and not just endure to stay alive, but endure to, to be sanctified, to be called into that holiness and to be perfected in this godliness. Lord, this process has already started. May we see the vision that is sufficient to endure all the difficulties of this world. Lord, may we see you in the place that you dwell and that we will dwell with you. Praise the Lord. Amen. So within that paragraph is this one verse, which is our text today. But obviously I want to grab from actually verses 10, 11, and 12. But I had touched on those uh, the last time going through 2 Peter 3. So um, head back there for some more context and, and take a listen to those messages. But what we want to look at today is this promise. So as he says, but according to this promise. Well, what is this promise that we're waiting for? What does it say? But also, what does it not say? So we could compare what is often brought to us and discuss. What does it say? And then we want to set our eye on this new heavens and this new earth. This thing is, that's promised, what does it actually look like? If I were to give you a pencil and paper, and to begin all the markers in the world, crayons if you're dangerous with sharp objects, to draw this most beautiful picture, could you do it? So how do we see with our mind's eye that which is indescribable, that which beauty is nowhere here on earth? What, what would that actually look like? And then finally, we want to see who are the people who are going to inherit that? So as we start with what is this promise, as we've seen the Apostle Peter, he's been putting many aspects of Scripture together. At the beginning of Acts, he comes blasting out of the gate, making connections all over the Old Testament, his Scripture, but also his three years with Christ to put all these things together to give us a, a real solid foundation of what's been going on, where the Old Testament has led us, and, and where they are at that point. And so we see where it's all coming together, infused by the Holy Spirit. He now, after dealing with the shadow of things to come, wants to paint that vision. If we were to look in the Old Testament where he likely drew some of this imagery, if you'd turn and look at Isaiah 65, I'm only going to touch on this, but I want you to see it so that it may be in your study time where this message comes to mind, you'd go back and look at this at greater length. may be helpful in times of need to just stare at this and to consider these things. But Peter, drawing from Isaiah 65 and 66, look at verse 17 of 65. He says, the Lord says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. If you continue looking down there, you see a greater explanation, an unfolding, building this thing out, putting all the details in there of what this new heaven and this new earth is going to be like. Peter, with the Holy Spirit, takes that. Look also in flip maybe one page to chapter 66, verse 22. As Isaiah had said, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain forever. This imagery, this new heavens and this new earth, in Peter's mind as he's bringing this to the crescendo, this, this main point of his letter, what will endure once Peter's gone? The new. I mean, just consider, 
if we're going to have a new heavens and a new earth, then what are we on right now? Temporary. So if we fix our mind and our heart on the things that are temporary, but yet there's something beyond that. Peter says beyond, beyond the final state after all is said and done. What is that eternal dwelling going to be? We need our imagination, not, not fantasy, imagination to be able to see these things. We need to take the description that we're given here and build a picture. There's no way any two of us would have that same picture if we were to draw it out. But it's this imagery coming. What is it going to be like? And how would, how would Isaiah or Peter describe these things? But they have to grab images. It's going to be this new earth. It's going to be beyond. It's going to be like all of these rare jewels, all of this beauty. And they're limited by words to describe because they are describing that which is indescribable. And Peter uses that as the image for our endurance. I also would venture to say that Peter, spending years with Jesus, had conversations, had understanding. And I doubt that the Gospels contain every conversation the Lord had with his disciples. I mean, the Bible does say, if we could contain everything, or you know, if everything could be written, the, the earth wouldn't contain it. So there's more there that there's understanding. You also have what the Apostle John had written. Um, Revelation, where we'll end this morning, was written after Peter's death. But the things that John had written about, Peter was there. So there would have been some familiarity with that for, for Peter to dwell or to uh, draw from. But we also just have this passage where just we may not look at Peter's sources, but we look at what he says. We are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. And this is the thing that is beyond that we would set our mind on it. And it is according to his promise. This is going to happen. So what, what is it that it says? Verse 13, this is, this is what we get. But according to his promise, so you can turn back to Second Peter if, if you need. But according to his promise, we're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. What's his emphasis? Is Peter saying, okay, after all of this, look, there's going to be a cool new one. We're going we're gonna to get it restored, right? This is what many in the world want, right? To, to recycle or plant, get some trees out here. Maybe burn all the businesses down so that we can have a new earth, right? If you haven't picked up on that, that's kind of their agenda. Level everything, we can start over. But is more of this the eternal state? No. No, by no means. No, Peter, as he's, he's bringing this all together, if you're in Second Peter chapter 3, look back at verse 10. He says, the heavens will pass away. Heavenly bodies will be burned up. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved. Verse 12, set on fire and dissolved. The word here, this image of it being new, is not that there's going to be a renewal of this earth. Some in the commentaries that I've read would believe that, that there's going to be a redeeming of this. The word pass away that we'll see in Revelation is throughout. It is literally the done away with, the former things, the old things are gone and there is new. And the description of it, whenever it's new, it doesn't look like this at all. There's no way to say that this earth is just going to produce this. It's not a redeeming. This one is under the curse. Not once the curse is fulfilled, then this world just, you know, pollution's gone. The, uh, the roads are much better. I don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what heaven looks like to you, but it's not, well, it's not Mount Juliet. I'll say that. No, it's altogether different. It's burned up and gone new. And so as Peter is bringing this emphasis of things new, look at that verse 13. So all these things are going to be set on fire and done away, but, but. So what's his emphasis here? Is it the word but? Because 
one commentary brought that, saying all of these things are going to be put away, but we're all going to be saved. And that was the, I mean, that was the crux of what he said, and I don't believe that that fits the context. Another one had the emphasis on this is according to his promise. In chapter 2, verse 19, there were promises made by the false teachers. The liars will promise you stuff. The false teachers will promise you stuff. But our promise is from God. Is that, is that the context here? Is that really what Peter's getting? Everything's going to be burned up, but we got a different promise. No. If we were to, one person put the emphasis on the waiting, where to wait while everything burns down. I don't believe that is uh, the context either. Some said of the new heavens and the new earth, in which righteousness dwells. That was Peter's emphasis. Wait for the time whenever righteousness dwells. It's plausible. I mean, Peter has been speaking of those who are in wickedness, looking to put that in the church to corrupt the church. But is Peter telling them, just wait for this to be over? Wait until righteousness dwells. You all seem a little uh, unimpressed by that emphasis. No, I think that, that the pure righteousness is more of a detail of heaven rather than a feature. Because if God were not there, would pure righteousness be there? Now, so what's his emphasis here? If it's none of those, here's the big surprise. It's the one that I skipped over. The emphasis being on the new heavens and the new earth. Peter said everything, everything that you have, everything but the, the vision of heaven and the things that will endure forever, all of it will be burned up. How many of you would like for some of the stuff in this world to be burned up? Some of you may have employment that you're like, it can go away. Some of you may have a car that I had a guy offer the other day. Can you steal my truck so I can get a new one? I said, well, <laughs> no, it wasn't worth it to me. It was a joke. It was a joke. It wasn't worth it to me, but it seemed a little dramatic. He could have just sold it. But as everything is passing away, it's all being, being rid of. We're looking beyond that for that which is eternal, which is also our inheritance. To paraphrase what Peter's saying here, we're waiting for what's beyond judgment. I have one amen. What is beyond judgment? But the inheritance. Once all things have been final, they have been judged, then you have the reward of the master, the separation. Some, their internal inheritance is where? But a lake of fire. To others, after all has been said and done, the final judgment is made, their inheritance is heaven. Sure, that's the location of it, but what is their inheritance? God. And I was thinking that image. Have you ever seen the end? Maybe it's uh, you know, a sports activity. You know, the NBA Finals, where it goes all the way down to the wire, game seven, and the, the game's over. One team wins, the other team loses. Have you ever watched the losing team? especially if it is, depending on which uh, stadium it's in. Because if you're in their stadium, it is loaded with all of their fans. And so whenever you lose on the basketball team, I think there's like 10 or 11 guys. They're the only 11 guys in the room that are disappointed. And all the confetti's falling, everybody's cheering, they rush the court. What do they look like? But they just, I mean, there is no joy it is as, as close, I mean, you would like look at the ground if you could, and they just get out of there. And that's a basketball game. And what are they going for there? I mean, that's not even a real gold trophy. Spoiler alert. <laughs> the Stanley Cup, they just etch your name on it and give it to the next guy next year. But you see that disappointment. 
imagine this in this context. That for inheritance, those who have been against God, they hear the rejoicing of God's people. Their inheritance is full. The stadium is alive. The confetti is falling. But their inheritance is to go out. And they're not going out to get on a bus to drive back to Cleveland. But their inheritance is in the lake of fire. And they can hear the screaming and the gnashing of teeth. And that's a basketball trophy. Imagine this separation beyond the judgment, the final bell, there's the inheritance. And Peter puts our eyes on that celebration, this new heaven, this new earth. Praise the Lord. That ours right now may be temporary. I mean, it's temporary some because we know the earth is temporary. Why do we need a new heaven? Where was, where was Satan? Where was sin first found in Satan? And then he was what? Cast out? You read Job chapter 1? Who was in heaven? And can unrighteousness, is, is that in a way sullied? Compare that to the vision that we have here in a few minutes of heaven. The Lord does away with all of it. That our inheritance is perfect, undefiled. Amen. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So scripture, it does not call us to fix our eyes, fix our gaze on something sooner than this final, this new heavens and the new earth. As we go through Revelation, it never says, Look forward to the judgment of the wicked. Never says look forward to the plagues, the great white throne judgment. Don't even look to your own death. I didn't read that passage in the scripture. Wait till you're dead, then your problems will be over. Well, yeah, technically, but that's not the end for us. Our death is, is not it. Look beyond that. Look to that final state. And with the clear implication... If you're still in 2 Peter chapter 3, as he starts this section in, chapter, in verse 11, he says, what sort of people ought you to be or must you to be in lives of holiness? Look how he, he puts the parenthesis on the other end in verse 14. Since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him. In what condition? What condition does the scripture say? Verse 14. Without spot or blemish. You have two parentheses here. All of these things are going to be burned down. The relationship right now that's crashing and burning, that's going to be done away with. The ache, the pain of these things, the Lord is going to do away with them. The home that you just can't seem to fix, maybe it's a leak. I won't look around. I'll just look out. Don't, don't call for help. Just let's say there's a leak you can't fix. The, the yard that you can't mow once and it just never grows. The, the weeds that grow up. The barnacles that stick to your relationships. Your bank account that... Have you ever found a full bank account, Alan? No, there's always more numbers you can add to it. There's always these, this uh, wanting, this longing, all of this brokenness. The weakness. We're never called to look at those, but those are the things inside the parenthesis. Look at the things that do not wear out, the things that are going to last forever. Some look to physical beauty. How long does that last? You can answer for your spouse. Might be in the silence of your own home, but how long does physical beauty last? I've seen your wedding pictures, you've seen mine. Some people come over and they're like, who is Ashley's first husband? <laughs> and then they ask if it was a toupee. And then I don't know the third question because I kick him out after that. <laughs> but Peter, within those parentheses, be without spot or blemish because the central image, the picture right there in the center is this new heavens and the new earth. The one that, as we sang, cannot be shaken cannot be burned up. And if we set our mind's eye on that, if that's our desire, we will endure. 
And this is all over the scripture. I, I didn't even put a lot of examples because you have some in mind. Romans 8.18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. This momentary affliction is not even comparable to the eternal weight of glory. Amen. Amen. But what we often find whenever we talk about heaven is kind of the cultural view of heaven. So this is what scripture does not say. Peter's about to, or he says new earth and new heaven. We're going to look in, in in Revelation. But this is what it does not say. And this is what is often heard. Think about a time you've talked to somebody about heaven, or maybe it's even been your own reminiscing. And it typically flows in one of these two veins. Either heaven is the place where all of your physical ailments will be made right. Deathbed ails, the pain, your back, those things you take the medication for. Oh, I can't wait to be in heaven because then it'll be over with. Which actually just sounds more like, not I want to be there, but I just don't want to be here. Big difference. Big difference. Why would we want to be there? Well, so that you're back to 100%, so you can run the bases again so that you can do the things of a perfect human? Is that what we look for? That our physical body would be restored? We'd, I don't know, some people, the, the argument, what will you look like as though that would matter? Will I be beautiful? Will I have the perfect you know, beach bod? Mm, probably not. Essentially, that vein is that I look to heaven because I desire to be a better human. Not a glorified saint. I'm not looking for the, the content of what's there. I just want to be perfected in my abilities. Man, wouldn't that be awesome to just walk through walls? Well, that sounds more like a, a cartoon or a movie that we might watch. But you'll hear people that this is how they describe their hope for heaven. It may be acute for some people to say, oh, this pain, I just can't wait till it's over. That's why I want to go to heaven. Is that a sufficient hope? This is the question. Is that a sufficient hope, as Peter has put those parentheses on there, for somebody to pursue holiness and godliness? No. It is not sufficient. Because those are the things of this temporary world. You just want this temporary to be. I just want the suffering to stop. If that would stop, well, what if the Lord took it away from from you? Where would your hope be? You're not going to be like, oh, well, now I have the freedom to long for the things that I'll have to suffer for. No, it's, it's not a perfect physical body. I mean, just think of the person. Would you deny yourself that, that just sinful explosion of anger if you knew that the only thing you risked was that beach body? I mean, some, I mean you, you may prepare yourself. I mean, we exercise, we diet. We don't want to be poor stewards. But the idea that heaven is going to be where I look like, you know, some superhero is that going to stop me in the moment whenever I am angry with someone? No, it is not. The other vein is the restoration of, the early, of this earthly life. The loved ones that we've lost, they're all going to be there to greet you at heaven's gates. And probably the, the pets you've lost as well. It sounds more like this like recreational baseball game. You know, isn't that what many people look forward to? You know, grandpa's going to be on the mound pitching. Grandma with her new knees is going to be playing first base. Maybe the Apostle Paul's catcher, right? It's this like backyard wholesome. We're all going to be back together. But what's the hope there? But the people. Is your great hope when you get to heaven that there's going to be a bunch of people there? Because if that's the glory of heaven are the people of which you're one of them, well, 
Do you really think that you are the great attraction to heaven for your family members? I mean, you might have a pretty high view of yourself, but I, it's a little risky to say that the glory would be the people. Is it true that they're all going to be there? The saints are going to be there. We have scripture that say that we will be in this festival gathering. We're all going to be together. I'd love for everybody to be there. And I want to present to as many people as possible the requisite knowledge and the, the knowledge of the person, the relationship with Christ that would bring them, that would, that would have them there. So is it true that they'll all be there? Yes, but that sounds a lot more like earth in heaven. I just want to reverse the effects of the curse. I just want this world more. That will not bring us the peace needed to change. Some people have a desire like that. I just want to see this family member one more time. But is that a sufficient hope? It may set your mind on heaven, but will it stop you whenever the person in front of you while you're driving is going 25 miles an hour under the speed limit, which is one of the most... (laughs) I can't say it from the pulpit. It is one of the most... the speed limit there is aim for it, is all I'm saying. Just aim for it. Will that restrain me? Will it promote godliness? Will it promote holiness? Will it promote endurance in the faith to know that whenever I get to heaven, there'll be people there that I've wanted to see again? There'll be some people there that you, you never knew were there. It might make for a great Pearl Jam song. You know, what's that song? Oh, where, oh, where, how's it go? Um, Oh, where, oh, where could my baby be? The Lord took her away from me. I've gone, she's gone to heaven, so I've got to be good so I can see my baby when I leave this world. I'm a decent Pearl Jam. It was on the greatest hit, decent Pearl Jam song. But how many people want to go to heaven? You'd assume all. But how many of them longed for it to the point that they would deny themselves, take up a cross and follow Christ? How many of them would put their their sinful desires, their earthly desires to death to say that I want to be there? That is the Christian's hope. And so we want to see what it is. What is it that I'm grabbing after? Because I want to be where the Lord is. I don't just want to be in a, a... church service where nobody gets old and and everybody is happy. No, I want to be there where God is. Not just a utopia where I would want more of this world. I heard Paul Washer, a preacher, say, everybody wants to go to heaven. They just don't want God to be there when they arrive. I just want the world back. I just want the restoration of all that I've lost. We'll have glorified bodies. The saints will be there. But that is not the main captivation of heaven. What will it look like? So we are going to move to the book of Revelation chapter 21. But I want to put this image in mind. And I think I've done a a decent job. But I would, I would have you to think about this in the context with which you've been through. If I were to tell you, or if I were to give you two free plane tickets, you've seen the cost, they're not free to you, plane tickets, what would be the first thing you'd look at? Well, yeah, where am I going? The second thing would probably be, when am I going? But let's say I gave you plane tickets and it's a city you don't recognize, but it's a 24-hour flight. So this is a place you've probably not been before. What would you Google? What would you go home and say, Lausanne? Uh, type that in there. What, what would the information be that you'd want to come up? <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> Things to do. What is this place? I'm, I'm going here. I've never heard of it before, but I want to see it. Like, what, in, I, I, is it a desert? Is it a coastal town? Is it uh, the Himalayas? Where am I going here? 
if you knew you were going somewhere, you'd begin to do some research. Well, what time of the year am I going to go? Because it may be summer and the climate is this, maybe winter. Climate is completely different. You then might Google how much did he pay for these tickets. But let's say you find out Lausanne is in Switzerland and you're going to the Alps. What's there to do in the Swiss Alps? Look. Ski, that is the big attraction, is you would go there so that you would do some type of recreation. If you knew you were going, you had this trip all bought and paid for. Remember, you got the good knees, good good body, you're ready for this. What would you begin practicing or preparing for? But the very thing that you're going to do while you're there. I know some people that their idea of vacation is like, I'll go and watch. But I ain't doing nothing fun. I promise. And this is how they spend recreation. They just watch everyone else live life. But they're not going to do it. But if you were going skiing in the Alps, is, is the main attraction that you don't get hurt? It might be for some of us. But no, the main attraction would be, I went to one of the most beautiful places in the world and I enjoyed it. I had an experience that I wouldn't have anywhere else. And would you talk about that? Somebody that I know just went to on a three-week Alaskan vacation. I was getting downloads of 27 text messages at a time of all of the photos. Were they excited to be there? Yes, yes. I have one example that I think of right now. If you knew you were going scuba diving in the Caribbean, would you show up completely unprepared or do you need to be prepared with the registration card that shows, hey, you'll live if we, if we sell you this stuff? Yeah, you would prepare for the place in which you're going. You'd investigate. You'd want to know about this place because this investigation is the energy that fuels the fire. Think about it. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And these are just of earthly examples that I'd want to know, where am I going? What's it going to be like? What am I going to do? What is the activity of this place? So would we set our minds on heaven? And what Peter gives us here is a sufficient catalyst. He says, in order for us to live our lives in holiness and godliness, to pursue righteousness, this is the vision. This is where you're going. So you're in Revelation, probably at chapter 21. Just look back a little bit so that you know when this event occurs. If we were to look at the last few chapters, you have chapter... 18, you have the fall of Babylon, so you have a battle there. Chapter 19, you may see some rejoicing in heaven. 19, verse 6, you have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Chapter 20, you're reading about the thousand-year reign of Christ. A little later, the defeat of Satan. Chapter 20, verse 11, you have the great white throne judgment. So all of those things have occurred Then, chapter 21, verse 1, then, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, our Greek word there, to depart, to go away, to dispose of. And the sea was no more, so comprehensively different. New earth, new heaven, no sea, verse 2, and I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I want you to just watch that vision. If you were John, you see new earth, new heaven. You see this city come down. And as you read in chapter 21, you see descriptions of its physical beauty. Verse 9 through 21 He uses the imagery of these rare jewels to a man they're even more rare, Jasper. No clue. Sounds beautiful, though. Should I investigate to see what kind of beauty that looks like? 
Yeah, what is this image? What color is this? A sea of glass. Well, what is that? I, I mean, what does that look like? I have to set my imagination on it to say, so you can see everything. It is wide open. These colors pop with, with for me, I, I can hardly see any of them now. Just imagine how wonderful that'll be for me. Instead of all one color, it'll be many colors. Praise the Lord. Think of this beauty, crystal, gold, pearls, the very things that are the highest priced. This city comes down these high walls with gates everywhere wrapped in gold. And this is not the kind of low-grade gold that we would find at the cheap jewelry store. This is stuff you can't find on earth. This is literally new Jerusalem in a new heaven. How do I describe this but to give words that the earth has bound up? This vision, this is what is coming down. And you're watching this new Jerusalem come down. In our wedding ceremonies, we got flowers. Dying flowers. I mean, there's going to be maybe two rings up front. We've got some gold, some diamonds there. But this is not a wedding that you've been to. This is not a picture of what you've gone through before. Heaven is not a better earth. Altogether differently. We're waiting for a place that is indescribable. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, I mean, now this heaven speaks. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This is the true beauty of heaven. This is why we endure. How many of us want to dwell with God? And now it's in part. Now we have shadows. Now we're bound up because we can't physically see him. Well, we have his love from his people. We have his spirit inside of us. But then, now in part, but then face to face. All of the restrictions are gone. You are standing right there and there is the glory of God. Praise the Lord. And it is indescribable and then it speaks and God himself says you I will be with you I want to dwell with you personally I want to be with you forever we will not be separated this is a place in which righteousness dwells nothing will separate you from me is that enough to strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord The main attraction of heaven is God. If we put it on our physical restoration, if we put it on our relationships, think about what John is putting here. All of that beauty that was in your mind's eye, you are distracted away from it by the voice that says, I will dwell with you. Will that lessen some of the problems you have at work? Will that lessen some of the difficult conversations that you have to have with people on earth? Will that do away with some of the hurts that have been brought to you that you've suffered throughout the years? To say the very thing that I want is in my future after all things have been judged, that is my inheritance. Yes, that will cause your endurance. Look over at chapter 21, verse 22. More visual, he says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. All that was lost, the communion in the garden restored. All the redeemed in Christ will be brought into communion, that the consummation We're all there together, married with the Lamb. All the elect of God, face to face. Verse 4, 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things, that which is of this world, have passed away. How amazing. God is not taking us there to wipe away our tears. But the Lord would save you, elect you, draw you to this great final earth to dwell with you. Praise God. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true, i.e., here's the promise that Peter's talking about. And he said to me, verse 6, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. That's inheritance. And I will be his God and he will be my son. And so many passages carry this same image. James 1, 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised. Christ said it in Matthew twenty four thirteen: He who endures to the end will be saved, i.e., you will walk into that place. That place will come down front and center for you. That is your inheritance. I don't know how long it's going to take to happen, but it is coming and it's coming soon. That, this place in which the righteousness dwells, where things will be made right, is in our future. And the things of the earth will not come to mind as we read there in Isaiah 65. So some of these songs that you get, you know, there's holes in the floor of heaven where people are looking down on us. Sorry for the 80s reference there. Uh, is that true? Is anybody in heaven thinking about you? And f- for any men who I'm assuming you'd be like me and say, I don't want to leave those who I'm currently protecting behind. I want to be the last one from my family to go. I want the Lord to usher my, my wife and children in and then bring me. Anything you leave behind, your faith, whenever God is now protecting them, would he not do that when he takes you and all that you've left behind, he would protect them. But whenever there's no time, whenever you show up in this place, it's not like you show up and you're like, oh Lord, it was a bad situation whenever I got taken out. So like you're going to be waiting there in anxiety. Without time, and with the main attraction being God, it will be as though we all show up together. You're not going to be waiting. But this, I mean, it's not like a marriage where some guests just keep showing up. No, we all are brought together in this new heavens, this new earth is brought down and we all enter in. There's no leaving anyone behind. There's no responsibility that, that is neglected. We are all brought into that together. But there was one verse there. If you're in Revelation 21, there's one verse that I want to bring to our attention because I think it has, uh, one, a caution, and two, an implication. Look at verse, chapter 21, verse 8. And this is how we get there. Verse 8. But... As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. When that list is read, which one concerns you? I think that most Christian people would look at that and say, I don't live a life that could be described as detestable. Literally, the word there is stench. Like that the Lord would, would be like, oh, geez, look, yeah. 
We don't generally live those, those lives. Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, I, I think we could put those away. Which one catches your attention? The first two. I'll look firstly at cowardly. Cowardly. In the dictionary, it says of Christians who through cowardice give way under persecution and apostatize. This word here is an adjective for somebody who's fear-driven. So somebody who loses their moral fortitude in the face of difficulty. The type that Christ speaks about in the, the four seeds. Those that the cares and concerns of this world grow up and choke it out. The, uh, the people in the temple, John twelve forty two. he says, Nevertheless, even many of the authorities believed in Jesus, but for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory of man more than the glory of God. But for those that are cowardly that are not going to be in the kingdom, the Lord will decide, you know, these are the ones that are separate. But can we join them? Can our daily manifestations of weakness and sin, can we join those who are cowards? Is that, I mean, it concerns us because it's something that we see in our lives. I may be speaking for, for just myself, but whenever you go through life and there's cowardice, whenever I would present, maybe not the gospel, but I'm just going to invite you to church, right? Because I don't really want to tell you the things that are going to offend. I'll take you to the place that he'll do it. And then if you don't like him, then we won't be friends anymore, but at least it wasn't me. We shrink back from presenting God because it's just, uh, you know, it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right this, you know, and you just shrink back. We present morality rather than Christ. That's so easy in the current conversation in our culture to just present the thing, well, you should do this, right? There's two options, pro, what is it, pro-choice and pro-life. Yeah, oh yeah, we should do that because we're Christians. That, that's why. But to actually bring Christ to bear on their personal sin, we, we shrink back from that. I, you know, I'm... Is that cowardice? Is that somebody that in the face of potential persecution shrinks back? That I just don't want to tell her because it's going to be an argument. I just don't want to present Christ because of the difficulties. Cowardice. The other one is faithless. We shrink back because of faithless. And then in the same way, this word, most of the time, except for once, it refers to unbelief. But can we manifest faithlessness? How might you do it? Well, we could be those who turn away and apostatize the faith. True. But I think what's more common, what's hiding here, or maybe not here, but within the church universal Think of the faithless who are simply hiding in the congregation. They're associated with the church. Therefore, they're a part of the church. You'll see this with uh, maybe a spouse who hides underneath the godliness of their spouse. A wife or husband whose whose spouse in the church is prominent, and so they just kind of don't say anything but just kind of stay in their shadow. The convictions aren't real to them. They don't really have faith, but this is the right thing to do. I grew up this way, so my parents did it. Now my, my spouse does it. This could be men or women, but they just, just kind of undercover believers. Or maybe they only exercise godliness and the, the fruit of the Spirit whenever it's easy, but every time it's difficult, they seem to fall short. They have a lapse in it. They're not faithful. They don't have conviction. They don't have hope. They just have a morality. They have a a form of godliness. 
it is a caution because many people can hide under that covering. Well, I invite people to church. Well, I give my money to church. Well, we pray at night. We pray before every meal. And, and my spouse makes sure we give 10%. But whenever it's faith that is bold to go forward, one that sees that vision and says these things, it's not just that I'm going to let the things of the world go, but come with me. Let me show you this vision. Let me show you this Christ. Let me make much of him that he might be famous in your view. That vision is of those who are not cowards, but are the faithful. And whatever the suffering may be, let it be, but I will be faithful. We don't want to hide. So I want to encourage each one of us just as considerations as we close here. This idea of heaven and this this view of it. Just take a moment and consider how much time, maybe not instances, but let's just measure with a stopwatch. How much time over the last week have you thought about and in your mind's eye captured a view of heaven? The place that you'll be eternally. I have a little bit of a head start because I've been working on this, but I'm... (laughs) Yeah, so that's where y'all fall short. You should have been like, uh, like me. No, no, by no means. This is whenever I think about life and what my daily content should be, it's about schedules. It's about phone calls. It's about parenting, about husbandry, about meals, about, you know, <laughs> gas, whatever the details. That's a, a source of prayer, if, if y'all could... No, but do we think about the things of eternal value? And whenever we do, maybe this week that you will, maybe your drive home, that you say, you know, I could think about all the problems that I have over here. Let me just dwell on that image that the scripture gave me of the beauty of heaven. Does it seem like a fantasy world? Like you just get an immediate do-over, like a video game? Where once I show up in heaven, nothing on earth mattered? Well, that'd be like showing up in the Alps in your you know, tank top and flip-flops. No, you got to buy all the gear. You got to do the what? No, you want to be prepared for the place that you're going. Don't let it seem like a fantasy world. But have you also then considered, okay, in light of all of this stuff, am I organizing my life to focus on the things that are eternal or temporary? And while I do the the temporary tasks of work, of life, is my mind dwelling on and consuming the things of eternal value? Is that what I'm going to chew on in my mind? Am I going to consume that? You can start. Your drive to work may be a great time for you to listen to the scriptures. Your time in, in daily devotion to let this be a practice for the people of God to set their minds on the things above and not on the things of the earth. And will we make it a practice? Will we think on, will we create, create affections for our eternal home? Because I will tell you this, and this is where we end. It is sufficient for your endurance. If you're just waiting for you to get a break or it to all be over, to finally have my body restored, my relationships with the people that I lost, I'm just waiting for that, that will not be sufficient for you to pursue holiness. What is sufficient is the view of God Almighty and your desire to dwell with Him, that you would be perfected, prepared to be in His presence. A desire like that now is what prepares you for this new heaven and the new earth to receive these things. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for giving this vision and recording it in Scripture that we're not left up to our own imagination on what we want heaven to be. But Lord, may we all calibrate our view accurately that out of all of the physical beauty, out of all of the wonderfulness 
that heaven is the main attraction, what distracts us from its physical beauty is the voice of our God saying, I will dwell with you. Lord, it stirs up a lot of aches and pains in in our hearts. For those who are physically hurting now, those who are emotionally in angst now, to say, I'm going to set my mind on the things above. I'm going to set my mind on the things of eternal value. That's where my treasure is. Let my heart be there also. It's practical, Lord, even as it stirs these things up. So may we be faithful to dwell on these matters. May we not be people that just focus on the here and now. The world offers us a gazillion things to think about and to have an opinion about and to argue about. But may we be the people who desire to be with our God. Lord, that we would cultivate the daily practice now of holiness so that we could see you now that we'd see you now. Dwell with you daily now. Lord, may that be what this time results in for us. And Lord, we ask this and offer it up. Lord, bind our hearts to you in Christ's name. Amen.